0: Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Hello everyone, and welcome to our monthly MLH webinar panel. The topic of our January 2024 webinar is DevRel ROI, how teams measure impact and success. We have three fantastic panelists with us today, all of whom will introduce themselves shortly, but they each have very different strategies, very different backgrounds, and hopefully some unique perspective to share on this problem that every DevRel person is thinking about, especially these days. If you're watching live, feel free to post in chat if you have any questions that you'd like the panelists to answer. If you're listening after the fact, we will send a link out in about a week for you to share around your organization. So with that, I will give you all a quick intro on myself and then pass it off to our fantastic panelists. So, hi everyone. I am John Gottfried, co-founder of Major League Hacking. I'm based in New York, and I was previously a developer evangelist at Twilio and Echonest, and I ran a lot of sort of grassroots hacker community events and programs. These days, I work on our partnerships team here at MLH. If you're not familiar with MLH, we are the largest community in the world of early career developers. So we work with hundreds of thousands of folks who are leveling up their skills and learning all of the things they need to enter the tech industry. This is a global phenomenon that's been going on for about 10 years now, and it's supported by fantastic DevRel teams like some of you in the crowd. Thank you all for uh, joining us, and. Without further ado, I would love to ask our panelists to introduce themselves. If you could share your name, title, company, and also a sort of where you sit in the organization as framing for our conversations about ROI. And I would love to start with Jacqueline, since you are first on my screen.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Hey, I'm Jacqueline. I'm currently a developer advocate at Automatic. So that's the company behind WooCommerce, WordPress.com, Tumblr, and a bunch of other things. I sit in the WooCommerce marketing team. So working directly with marketing, but we work pretty closely with engineering. So under marketing with engineering. Previously, I was actually a coach with Major League Hacking, So I was one of the people who was going to events that John just mentioned, and also led developer relations at a siege stage startup. So I've seen lots of different experiences with it all.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you, Jacqueline. Next up, we have SJ. SJ, would you mind giving us a quick intro of yourself?
2: I'm SJ Morris. My pronouns are she, her. I lead developer community at HubSpot right now. We are a part of the developer relations team and the DevRel team reports into product and engineering. So nice to have that marketing perspective here to bounce off of too. I've known John for ages. I've been doing a whole bunch of different types of roles within DevRel for the last like 10 or 12 years. So I've seen a lot of different stuff. So I'm excited to chat.
0: Fantastic. And last but not least, we have John. I am John Vajda.
3: I am the DX and growth team manager at DeepGram. And basically our team is DevRel, Dev Advocacy, and DX all rolled into one. And we actually work in reporting to the product team. So we have direct line into product, which is very helpful in our endeavors. And DeepGram is actually a company that focuses on text to speech and speech to text transcriptions as well as audio intelligence. So anything around AI voice is our kind of playground. We help developers build apps that do things with voice and language. And my background is pretty varied. I spent time in startup, lots of startups, founding a startup. I worked at SendGrid back in the days when DevRel was just becoming a thing, like in 2012. So that was fun to see that evolve out of their work with Twilio and sort of establishing what it even meant to do DevRelations. And since then, I've worked on a lot of products around the API space and developer experience, anything that involves the API it's been kind of where I've like spent time, so I definitely love working in the DX and developer relations space. It's been a passion for a long time, and it's fun to see it evolve. So I hope I know we're going to talk on the, the topics, the of evolution of DevRel, and how we're focused on things like ROI now and in, in this area, which is cool.
0: Awesome. Well, as you can tell, we have a wide array of experiences and some really smart people on our panel today. So I'll start this off with a question for Sj. You kind of alluded to this in your intro, but you've worked on a pretty wide variety of developer communities, DevRel teams. I also know that you ran a consulting business for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about how your perception of DevRel and where it fits into different organizations has evolved over the last, let's say, decade or so? And then we have a follow-up question for that as well.
2: Yeah, sure. This is a fun question because I feel like the heart and soul of DevRel hasn't really changed over the last 10, 15 years. I just think the sort of mechanisms of DevRel have changed. So I think back in the day when I first started it was all about hackathons every weekend and, you know, evangelism and demos and really like that face time with developers in person as much as possible and, you know, ensuring that you're working with the developer experience and docs team to really improve that process. And I think that sort of like philosophy of getting in front of developers, inspiring them, showcasing what's possible getting their feedback back, kind of being that representative of the company to developers and vice versa, being the voice of the developer within a company is still very true. I just think that the ways that we do it have changed. Also, I can't not mention that we had a pandemic and we still kind of do. Uh, Very recently that really changed the face, I think, of how we kind of approach our tactics in DevRel. Yeah, so I feel like today we lean a lot more on a lot of content, A lot of programs, a lot of sort of like asynchronous inspiration and growth communities. Really big online community. That's kind of where my career has veered into now. So I can sort of lean into that a little bit more if you want. And I also think you know, DevRel as a discipline has really expanded. I think it used to be sort of that evangelism and advocacy as its core, and now we see all kinds of different flavors of it. I don't think it was possible until two years ago when I rejoined HubSpot that I could be focused exclusively on community. In fact, at HubSpot, was at HubSpot for a year, left HubSpot for a year to go to MailChimp and then came back to HubSpot. And my first role was really a mishmash of like programs and community alongside advocacy, and now I'm fully focused on community. So I think I've seen a lot of that specialization and those sort of like core pillars grow within DevRel groups. So it's been interesting to see that like specialization and really intentional focus on different areas of DevRel.
0: Yeah. So for developer community, what is your North Star? Like, what does that look like in comparison to something like the other type of DevRel you were doing?
2: Well, I mean, like, here's the funny thing. And I think, like you said earlier, DevRel ROI is a really broad topic, and I think still contentious. However, I'm not sure if all my community folks would agree with me, but the thing that I'm most focused on in my community work is really facilitating connections between developers that are in our community. So making sure they have the spaces to connect with each other, making sure that they have the opportunities to learn from each other, to build together, to create things that we never would have dreamed of when we were putting out our APIs at HubSpot. So the more we can kind of like get them in front of each other, maybe stoke some of those conversations with our advocacy, with our content, the better. So to me, that peer-to-peer connection is really important. And some of the metrics that I use to measure that are a peer-to-peer response rate. So... We have a bunch of different community spaces at HubSpot. (laughs) We have our forums. So the broader forums for all of HubSpot are at community.hubspot.com. And within there, there is a developer forum. We also have a dedicated developer Slack. Within the forums, it's very easy to sort of like mark something as a solution. So when it's a peer, uh, (laughs) providing a solution to a peer, that's great. Within the Slack, it's a little bit more tricky. But we have a tool called Common Room that we've been using in the last couple of years for that kind of like community intelligence. And that helps us identify, you know, how many posts were responded to by a non hub spotter, by a community member, and who's sort of providing that ongoing kind of like value, I guess, or feedback. You know, even if it's not always positive, like we know developers will give us all the feedback in the world, positive or not, we're tracking that. And so to me, that's kind of my North Star Ultimately, on the DevRel level, we are looking at like how our content and community have touched things like number of total integrations, number of active developers. That can be defined very differently at every organization too, but those are kind of core metrics we
0: look at. Fantastic. That's a great intro to uh, how things work right now at HubSpot. I'd love to pass this over to you, John. So I know you mentioned in your intro that you sit more on the product side of developer experience in DevRel. Can you talk us through kind of similarly to SJ what are you know the differences between like what you were doing at Sendgrid which maybe was that classical evangelism to what you do now which is more product led growth and sort of product oriented devrel more generally
3: Yeah it's a great question I mean Sendgrid was kind of ahead of their time in the sense that we just saw the developer as our main like customer and it was a startup. There was I joined, it was 50 people, and we didn't really want to hire salespeople at the time. And we're like, well, our customer is a developer, so let's just talk to them like they'd expect to be spoken to. Let's give them free support. If they ever have problems, they can just hit us up. As before, really, community was a thing. So there wasn't like community tools back then. It was more like, hey, you can call us, you can email us, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we just focused on them as and met them where they were at, and then gave them good docs and good starting points like SDKs and things to get started with the API. So it seems like when we were doing that back then, it seemed revolutionary and really groundbreaking. And now it's sort of like just an extension of what I've always kind of philosophized what DX and DevRel actually is. So at DeepGram, even though like we are technically under the product org, we do that exact same approach where the developer is like our main person we sell to and talk to. And the big thing, that we try to do in the same things we did at SendGrid, which is really cool to see it all kind of connect as I talk about it, is that we just want to make it easy for them to onboard and to start using the product and to fall in love with it within the first five minutes. And then also know that they have a place to go if they get stuck. Because, you know, like most companies, we have paid support through our like larger contracts. But, you know, if you're just kind of a growth customer who's buying like Pego, we call it Pego, like pay-as-you-go kind of credits. It's like, well, you're kind of on your own unless you find something in between to help you. So I believe that every person is an opportunity to grow them into something more than just like a user maybe is paying ten dollars a month. At SengRid, some of our biggest customers started out as free users and their big names like Spotify and Pinterest. And they just signed up one day and it's like, hey, this company called Pinterest. Like, I don't know who they are, but they're like starting to really ramp up their email usage and then all of a sudden they turn into like one of the biggest companies of that era. So I think back then I just learned like anyone can become something really meaningful to you as a customer and like if you treat them all similarly, then you might win some really great long-term commitments to your product.
0: That's great. And I do think that all the folks I know who were DevRel, you know, developer evangelists of that era have many of those same kinds of anecdotes about meeting someone at an event or someone starting on the free tier and becoming a huge account over time. When you think about like actually measuring product focused devrel or product led growth, what are the KPIs that are associated with that?
3: Yeah, great question. We measure a ton of things. So I feel like I'm looking at metrics all the time, which, you know, metrics are great. They can give you tons of great insights into like where to go and like historically, like what happened. And I think the key things we look at, one of the key metrics is we call it sort of a project spending a certain amount of money with us. So we consider like a certain amount of spend, like really important, like quarter over quarter. And we like projects to us like customer IDs, essentially. And as those grow and spend, that's kind of a measurement of success, especially if they came in through what we consider like a product qualified lead where like the person didn't even talk to a salesperson. They literally just came in through, let's say, like a landing page or maybe through our docs or something. So we measure PQLs that we call those coming in through our PLG motion as well as the conversion of those to like projects that grow in spend. And then we look at all these milestones in their journey. So we actually use HubSpot. So thank you HubSpot for a lot of these like tools we use to, to measure milestones. And one of those is like send a first API request, send five APIs request, send 10. And then we just look at how far they go down that funnel and get engaged in the product. And we watch the drop-off of that, which is really important to see like how long it takes someone to get from like that first API request all the way to when they might buy additional credits. Other than that, we look at our API usage through SDKs. So we have four major SDKs covering languages like JavaScript Go, Python, and .NET. .net. And then we keep those really current with the API offerings so that developers can use those to integrate and then send API requests. Since we're a request-based, like, Transactional model, you know, the more requests people send to us, the more money Deepgram makes, and that was the SandGrid model too. Like now it's called consumption, but back then it was just like API-driven product. So we measure that to make sure that the SDKs are offering value, and then finally we look at how the deal—if deals actually close—and they come in through PLG. So like we measure the success of like what we call new logos or new customers, and we find that the ones that come in through like the product like growth channels. Sometimes they don't really have any sales interaction until like they start to really grow. So we measure like how many of those actually close in a year to see who came in through that PLG funnel. And then community is one of the things we've been exploring, adding ways to measure the success of community. And what we're looking at too is trying to figure out like the value of every single community member. And it's kind of a tricky thing to measure, but we're trying to understand like every single person we interact with, like what would be the value to our company? Because sometimes community can be seen as just like a free... Place for people to go to get support. But in reality, like any one of those people could become the next big customer. So we're trying to figure that out. So if anyone has any thoughts on that, please let me know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure we'll get back to that later. Before that, though, I'd love to tie a bow on this whole sort of conversation of like how things work at your organization with you, Jacqueline. And I know that one of the things you've specialized in and that I've always been impressed by is like your content, your learning resources, your documentation which is something that SJ talked about a little earlier, John touched on it as well. In you know, automatic, how does content play in as like a marketing and enablement function for Devrel?
1: Yeah, I guess the honest answer is we're still working it out. So like yesterday we soft launched a new developer doc site, like already getting a bunch of traction. And I think measuring like the early days is pretty easy. It's like, you know, are people coming to the site and are people angry tweeting us or like are people like Saying, hey, this was helpful in like our own channels, like got a Slack server, we got so on and so forth. So listening to community in those early days, I think is really important. But then like back when I was at autocode, we were releasing like at least a video a week, we were trying to educate a bunch of, in general, fairly young developers. And you can look at metrics, for example, we were releasing videos on YouTube and it was, oh, the number goes up, that's great. But I don't think that tells the entire story. Like you're looking at YouTube video metrics and yeah, the view time's good. The numbers are good. But are those the right people watching the video? That's like the hard thing to measure, especially with YouTube and other social platforms where it's like you can attribute to the platform, you can kind of attribute to the video, but like if they're just watching a video and then like going to what you're on in the video, then like how do you measure that? Can't really. And so I think like. That's where it gets really difficult. Like you've made content where people are using it. You can tell they're using it, but you can't tell how they're using it. One little trick I discovered, we had a piece of content around pine cones, like a vector database, blow up. And the way we measured that by accident was, oh, we have like a template. You have to install it with a tutorial and we can measure how many people installed that and you can't follow this piece of content without doing it. And so that kind of acted as like a proxy of like, okay, how many people viewing this are actually doing this? And then obviously the next step is like, okay, now let's look at the people who installed that. Did they then give us money? Like, especially in like the current economy, like you can have a million people go on your free plan and then have a great time and then never give you money and you're still going to run out of money. So yeah, that was like an interesting thing to measure. I also think like to kind of take a step back, you just need to talk to developers. Obviously, you can't quantify that. But if developers are routinely saying, hey, we need this piece of content. And then you give them that piece of content and then suddenly they're quite quiet. They're probably pretty happy and hopefully that'll translate to them becoming cheerleaders for your project or product even. Hopefully that'll translate to ROI down the line. Obviously you need to track that. But if they're still being like, hey, thanks for the content, we still need this. Then you need to like revisit like, "Okay, that content didn't get an ROI. People are still asking for the same thing. What did I do wrong? Was it the content? Was it where it was surfaced? Was it something wrong with our community strategy? Was it something completely different? And just to call out when I'm saying community strategy, community doesn't mean Discord server. It doesn't mean Slack server. It means all of them. So don't confuse the two.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's a very good call out. So I want to go back to something that S.J. said a little earlier about how the early days of the pandemic really kind of changed DevRel. And I know for us, right, like all of our in-person communities and events suddenly were virtual. I'd love to hear from each of you sort of how your strategy evolved when you went from something where, Maybe trade shows, maybe hackathons, maybe roadshows, meetups were probably part of your strategy historically. Now it's suddenly all virtual, and you still have to you know prove out results. Uh, and I'll popcorn this one up. So whoever wants to chime in and, and talk about that,
2: I also just wanted to echo one of the things that Jacqueline said, and that I think is a really important takeaway for all of us is that a quiet developer is a happy developer. <laughs> so we actually don't want a lot of noise in our communities. We actually know that they're building when they're quiet. So. That was just, a, I thought, a really good point. Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at like a couple things that make my thoughts on this a little different, perhaps from some of the other panelists. That I did spend some time at more developer-facing companies earlier in my career, but I moved on to companies where, honestly, developers are like they are adding value to the platform for customers, so they are not our like end customer. Of course, for DevRel, their developers are our customers, but We're not like a revenue generating group, and we are really looking to encourage our developers to build things that will then make our customers happy. So those companies, I feel like just already weren't the ones out at events, out at hackathons, maybe conferences, maybe larger partnerships. Like, I don't know, I think HubSpot has been to like some of these SaaS conferences, maybe AWS reInvent, like the bigger things. But for us, what I have found is like, we definitely experimented with Taking our entire event strategy that we're planning for the year, like our occasional touch points, and just totally virtualizing them. What I think has happened though is that, like, we all got virtual exhaustion and Zoom exhaustion. And now we're all a lot more careful about how we spend our sort of like online meeting time. And the days of like a day long virtual conference are just like not in the cards for most of us. What I'm experimenting with a bit this year and what I've seen working well in other programs and, you know, what I've been trying is. Are certainly more like I think I was alluding to it before, kind of longer term, like asynchronous programs where you're connecting folks in the community. This year, I'm trying to work on that kind of mentorship program within the HubSpot developer community, where we're going to pair our more seasoned, successful developers with folks who are starting up in the community and let them build together. That kind of thing has been forced us to be a bit more creative, forced us to think a bit longer term, and in terms of trying to convey the value of that, it's also a bit challenging because we then have to like say, like, okay, we're probably not gonna see massive returns on this for a while, we're experimenting for now, but have faith, <laughs> DevRel and community are kind of a long play. But I think looking at these things that are still tried and true that were successful back then are like a and and like, things like that, that there's like a long-term commitment where you can kind of jump in when it works for you You can connect with other developers and do something cool. That's what I've seen working since the pandemic.
1: I really want to echo that, actually. Like early pandemic, John, you probably remember this pretty well. We ran hack quarantine. Like I was lead organizer. It was like a student-run hackathon. But like one thing that we were really passionate about is like we're not going to lift that physical event format and make it virtual. And we forced ourselves to do that. We like made it three weeks long rather than a weekend long. And I think like if you can make it so people can dip in and out, suddenly it becomes less of this overarching scary thing that people need to go and commit to. Suddenly it's like a lot more accessible. And like those quiet voices, you have a higher chance of hearing from them because it's something they feel they can join in. Whereas like, you know, a big conference, like it's a big conference. Like I'm a developer. I don't talk to like everybody at a conference. So it lets you kind of get closer to that level. And I think that's been a really positive change. I think like another really interesting change is like, Obviously, Twitter changed over the last couple of years, quite a lot. And so maybe that's like a less reliable source. And I think everyone's had to get a lot more creative about where are you talking to developers and how do you measure that? And the honest answer is like, it depends. I started using Twitter a bit more again. I think there's still value in it and I think you can measure that value, but there's obviously more places. And I think like the hard thing that you mentioned was how do you measure that like in the short term and the long term and like immediately be like there is value in us doing this I promise and you need to believe us and yeah getting those like KPIs like down I think is really important
0: what what are the leading indicators
1: it's a good question I would say like if you have a lot of people actively engaged then those people are likely to kind of convert especially if those people are engaging beyond just like the platform Uh, like a great example I like to use is like If you have a Discord server and people are engaging on Discord and then people are sharing stuff that they made in your community on Discord onto other social media networks, then they're probably like a customer champion. Again, you need to measure that somehow, but you can watch them. Like another metric I like to kind of look at is like Discord has like this 20% reactivation rate on their community where it's like if 20% of your people are staying for the second week community, then it is probably a healthy community is kind of how they measure it. So when I was running like Discord-based servers, that was like a really easy way of measuring, like, are we hitting at least benchmark? And if we were hitting benchmark, then like, what can we do from then slightly better?
2: Yeah, it's totally those ongoing indicators that show momentum over time. Like, you're not going to be able to shout the like, oh, someone attended our event from the rooftops, but that person, then we can track them going into the docs. You can track them, Maybe I call, like, there's just a lot more sort of like, hope that they will (laughs) then create something great.
0: Great. So I'd like to move on a little bit. So we are talking a lot about sort of how DevRel fits into this larger business strategy. And one of the things that John was talking about earlier is that his team is responsible for both developing and supporting some of these like client libraries and also other parts of the actual product. And I know a lot of you early on said that product feedback, product improvements are a big part of your remit. John, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that kind of feedback, that kind of interaction actually feeds back into the business in a perhaps like a dollars in the sense kind of way.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things that we always see right away is like when we create a new like feature of the API or something and we test it very thoroughly and release it. Sometimes we don't really exactly know the reaction to it until it gets into the hands of developers, usually through the SDK integration or through what we call the API playground where they can explore the API. And then we learn a lot about like, okay, actually like maybe we name this incorrectly or this response sheet is kind of weird to developers or like we're not handling these errors very well. And I feel like that feedback is really valuable because there's only so much you can really conceptualize in development as an engineering team and give use cases and you're trying to solve problems. But until you get in the hands of people who are going to build with it, that's where the value comes in. And I think what we're learning at DeepGround is that we like to consider ourselves like customer zero. So like we encourage the engineering teams to get us involved really early on just In the early development stages of different features so we can give them feedback because we know our communities well we know our developers well and i think the value we add is really representing that voice of the developer that is going to go ahead and do the integration work and any sort of like time saving and effort you can bring to engineering that's not going to have them refactor something or break an api is downstream value not only for the company but also for all the developers that now have to go change something because like an api Response shape change under the hood. So, I think that's the value we try to always reinstill, like get us involved early so we can represent that voice. So, I think to sum it all up, like customer zero, like just reiterating that DX teams and DevRel teams can be that for a company is really important.
0: Can any of you share like an anecdote or a story where you had that sort of like bottom up product impact? Like, what's something where DevRel drove the direction of the organization or the product?
1: I can give you one if you want a second, John. We autocode back, like my previous job, like it was such a small company, but like our team was four people at one point. And so like you have those really rapid feedback loops. Anyone like a startup like is probably familiar with like, hey, we need this feature. And then that feature gets built, which is obviously like ideal world. But I think simply just watching like the problems our users were running into on Discord, we had like 30,000 people in a Discord server. If a, there was a problem with the product, someone was going to yell at us for it. And that was actually really useful. Um, Because, like, we've talked a bit about this, like, usage-based billing, and that's great. It, like, ties your consumption directly to a company's bottom line. But what it can do, if you're not careful, is, like, make complete use cases for your product completely untenable. And, like, we discovered that, like, yeah, we needed to retain usage-based pricing. It was a startup. Like, literally, it's the only way to keep the company running. But, like, maybe we shouldn't be charging for certain types of events. And so, like, let you build Discord bots that auto code, for example, and to listen to messages in a Discord server, you would have to listen to every single message from anyone in any channel, like in your entire Discord server. And that gets expensive really fast when you've got like tons of people or hundreds of people. Obviously, our account didn't have billing enabled, so we didn't spot that one. And so like people were complaining about this and it was like, cool. Okay. Like, can we create events which are useful for you so you don't have this issue? And so that was like stuff like letting you only detect messages that start with like certain prefixes or in certain channels. And we on our end still had to listen to every message, but because we could filter them out earlier, it's going to cost less to process those requests. And therefore, like it was kind of a win-win. It saved the company money, it saves users money, everyone's happy. And then suddenly you can build more things on the platform and boom, like you can create more examples and create more content. It's great.
3: Yeah, I thought it one. Thanks for jumping in there, Jacqueline. I was racking my brain with Luke. what's an example of letting the DX team like, steer the ship in a different direction. I always think that like most at least most teams I've worked with endeavor on DX, like we're not always like taking the like the wheel and steering the ship or anything. It's more like, hey, we're actually like helping nudge the wheel like in a certain direction. And like the gentle nudges or maybe they're more abrupt nudges, depends on like the gravity of like what you're trying to figure out. But I think one thing we exposed at DeepRam, which was an interesting evolution of our product, is that a lot of developers started to really need client side authentication to run transactions for like voice and like transcription, like via the browser In a secure way. And our platform didn't offer a really easy way to do that with an API key. So we started to expose the need. Like there's a lot of client-side developers that really need something that they can do, like a JWT token so they can securely authenticate a request via the API through the browser. And our engineering teams didn't know about that use case. Like they weren't, I mean, they understood like client-side interaction, but they weren't aware that was a need. So as that became more and more of a thing that we kept hearing about, especially from like Next.js developers. We just brought that to the attention of the company. like, hey, we really could use a client-side authentication strategy here. So that's something that I thought was a really interesting way that the DX team kind of nudged the wheel a bit. And like, we kind of helped the company gear in a new direction and kind of see the client-side use case as a more viable option. And also one that would open up a whole bunch of opportunities for for different types of developers to like use the platform.
0: I love that. So one of the challenges that a lot of DevRel teams have, and I feel like some of this might be implicit with how you all are talking about your orgs, is that there can be a disconnect between how DevRel teams sort of like think about their impact, think about their community and executives, right? Who might not have any experience doing DevRel. Can you talk about communicating that up the chain? Like how do you sort of justify this work that you're all doing in a summarized way that a C-level exec can look at and say, "Ah, yes, like I don't know what a client library is, but this is working.
3: I can I can go first. That's cool. Um, so, I think fortunately, Dgram our our C level executives are very technical. They're founders still, so they're like hands on and they they get the needs of like the developers. But I think one of the things that DevRel and DX and Dev advocacy, if you want to lump it all together, like what we're always going to have to do, and now more than ever, is probably continually hit on like what the value of the team is or the, the teams that do that work. Because sometimes there's not clear lines to like revenue and there's not clear lines to like opportunities. Sometimes it's very blurry, especially when you talk community or events, like how do you tie that back? And I think in the older days, I remember in the older days of DevRel and DX, like it was kind of a bad thing to like, well, what's the revenue of this team? Like how are we generating revenue? Like we don't want to talk about that. We were like, well, we're not a revenue generating team. We're just here to like help the developers and meet them where they are at. But now I think we tie that back to metrics. It's really important. So the fact that DeepGram takes DX and puts growth together is like, obviously, it's not just like by chance or because we're a small company. It's actually a strategy, which allows like the DX team at DeepGround to also drive growth and then connect those two worlds together so that like everything we're doing is like driving some kind of growth metric. And that metric is always like a bottom line revenue number that we can sometimes tie clearly to and sometimes we can't, but that's what we're always talking about. So I think when I want to showcase the teams like, What they've done, it's all about those growth metrics and how directly attached we are to those.
0: Do you think that what you're describing is just like maturity of DevRel is getting further along?
3: I think so. I think it's a maturity and it's probably more of a focus and a reality of like at the end of the day, no matter what we're building in this world, like we're always going to have to sell it. And who we sell it to is just part of like what type of product you have, but like everyone in a company is sort of selling something. And I think I learned that as a product person, I was in product for a long time and product managers are selling product too. So I just got more open to the idea that like, Hey, we're all kind of selling something here and we all kind of have to like make money in order to stay open as a business and removing that sort of like, I guess the not wanting to have a revenue, like number associated with your team and that resistance to it. And it's removing that mindset was something I worked on. And I think that's kind of what Deepgram's approach is right now. Which is working for us as a team and it helps us feel really connected to like the goals of the company.
2: I think I'll add that like I think DevRel is maturing, but I also think that we're in a very specific economy right now that is kind of forcing us to have to justify ourselves with dollars and cents. That being said, there's a couple of things that I think have always been true that have kind of guided my career at least. And that's if you're sort of getting a sense from the executives that they don't have a certain level of faith and buy-in on the concept of both community and DevRel and sort of philosophically how those two align, that they're long-term investments, that they are kind of moats for the brand. Like they're actually providing this like sort of reinforcement for what's happening in marketing, what's happening across the company. If you don't get that sense from them, like, I mean, it's easier said than done, but try not to work for that company. (laughs) And that's more true, I think, for certainly for companies where the developer isn't the customer and they are more customer facing or B2B products. And then I would say in that case, like certainly at HubSpot, at Shopify, at MailChimp, it's not important necessarily that all the executives understand completely what you're doing and what the value is. But I think if you have product and engineering on your side and they see the value and you're truly becoming kind of really investing in that ecosystem and that platform side of the company, then you'll have those folks to champion for you. And HubSpot has made some really great hires in the last year or so that have helped us get that VP and SVP level support that DevRel, we frankly lacked before those two hires. So it's been really nice to have that C-level or that sort of exec level championship.
0: Are any of you able or willing to share sort of your assessment of the market conditions right now? like? What is the pressure on DevRel teams? What changed over the last six months or a year?
1: You need to make money because suddenly VC dollars are not there. Suddenly people can't afford as much. Companies are trying to cut. And so if you can't show a link between, like, we did X and it made you X money, then, like, suddenly you have to justify yourselves in other ways. And I think, like, SJ, like, that. Point on like work of product teams, work of developer teams internally, and they'll kind of champion for you to VPs is like that can be the ROI that you're giving. And I think that is actually really valuable, especially in a developer focused company. But ultimately, like with the market change, if you can't justify yourself as if not making revenue, not costing revenue, then it's really difficult.
3: Yeah. I think I totally agree with that, Jacqueline. It's a great, like spot on answer. And I think the other thing I'm seeing is the The influx of AI into everything we do. So since ChatGPT came in and exploded everything in tech, it's also made the industry really interesting to watch the adaptation to that. Not only is it a VC like funding thing, but it's also like this now it's this AI product thing that every company is chasing some kind of AI strategy with something. Whether you're you know using ChatGPT to do everything for you through OpenAI or you're doing it yourself, like it's like something about this new paradigm of AI driven product development that is just becoming. I think making it time to market be like even more compressed. So it's like get to market as soon as possible because someone else is going to get to market as soon as possible with something. So I kind of feel like it's a double-sided thing. It's like we have the VC, lack of VC dollars coming into the industry just due to the market and then in financial like constraints, then you have like this AI product pressure. So it's a really interesting time to be in the middle of that. <laughs> so of course, any team that's not directly like, Saying like, what do you do every day that's going to like make this company money? Like, show me the bottom line, like your contribution. That you have to like prove that. And I feel that it makes sense of where things are at today. And I know that over the last couple of years, a lot of teams, and especially in DevRel and DX and did Advocacy had like shedded jobs because maybe that was hard to do, or maybe there wasn't awareness to what the teams did in the first place. And that's a tricky thing to navigate, I think, for all of us.
1: I think it is a double edged sword, though. AI even can give you like easier to generate ROI. Like I know when I'm writing documentation, like I'm using AI nowadays to like not write it, but like to check it, to like suggest improvements, to boilerplate code even sometimes. And then you can also use it as a way of your team generating ROI for other teams. Like, can you, if you own documentation, like optimize your developer documentation to be accessible to like a large language model? If you can, then it's kind of a mode like if you know, ChatGPT is going to suggest using your product over others, then like suddenly that's a huge advantage, right? So I think a lot of people, I don't necessarily think people on this call, but a lot of people have been like dooming glooming, like it's going to take everyone's jobs. And yeah, to some extent it is. But I think also that doesn't mean you shouldn't try and adopt it for things where it's like useful. And I think it does help you generate ROI. And if anything, like you can generate ROI with it in a way that you couldn't previously.
2: Yeah, I think ChatGPT optimization is the new SEO. That's what they're saying.
0: That's a good (laughs) pull quote.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Also, the skill of prompt engineering, as they call it, is really yeah, it's a real skill, and like you can do a lot with prompt engineering. It's pretty cool to see how you can just go to like some of ChatGPT and actually like get a bunch of like really useful code to use. And you got to still check it a bit. And there's still some areas that might not work out for you. But I remember. It doesn't seem like long ago, but it feels forever ago, like where like Stack Overflow is the place I'd go for that. And now, no offense to Stack Overflow. I'm sure they're trying to figure it out their own business plan with ChatGPT. But I don't feel like I even Google anything anymore when it comes to like coding problems. Very rarely do I have to turn to like a Google search to find an answer. And that's changed everything. I think. To me, that's DX developer experience right there. It's a really interesting new world. And then also I think Jack on your point about like optimizing your docs to get into that LLM so that people can find the answers really quickly. It's like a really cool, the new SEO is a good way of putting it, SJ. Yeah,
1: like just to kind of tail off, like if it's generating the wrong code, like chatGPT or any LLM, then I think that's your problem as a developer relations team and you need to go fix it real fast.
0: So I feel like a lot of what you all are describing is, in my opinion, like perhaps theoretical uses of AI in DevRel. And I hear everyone talking about this. Obviously, this is the hot topic right now. I'd love to hear some examples of how you are actively in production using AI and DevRel.
2: HubSpot ruled out, like many SaaS companies, we did kind of drop our. <laughs> I wouldn't say we dropped our big goals, but we added the goal of getting in front of AI and weaving it into the product as effectively and quickly as possible. And now we have something called ChatSpot, which is a pretty cool tool that folks can use that you know leverages our entire knowledge base and specific to folks' accounts when they're in there. I believe, and I'm not sure this is something I should be saying or not hard to say, but (laughs) I'll tell you after if we need to cut this out. But if not, I think we're uh, trying to get our docs in there too. So folks can start, you know, we're training the model on our documentation. We were talking about uh, training it on the community and on the Slack. And I thought that was a terrible idea just to the nature of how quickly things change and how many you know, what was a solution yesterday will not be a solution today. So I just thought, let's hold on that. We've also been looking at weaving in some more sort of AI solutions within our community Slack. So possibly like that same data set that ChatSpot is going to be leveraging just being able to access it as a bot within the Slack. So kind of poured it into the different community spaces and sort of see how folks like it. Yeah,
3: so to kind of build on that, like just getting all of our content into like a bot. Since Deepgram is like an AI company, and we have like researchers and LM development going on internally, we have a lot of advantage in the sense like we have people that do that work like day to day, which is kind of cool. So we did recently build something that's an internal bot to answer internal questions that are all sourced from our docs community and from different sources to help like our internal teams answer questions. We call it Navi, and it's a little bot that you can hit up in Slack and say like. Does, how does DCRM handle like streaming with utterances? And then it's like, okay, here's some recommendations of documentation as well as like you'd have discussions on these topics, and that's internal. But we're looking at ways to expose that into our Discord server so that when someone asks a question that we've seen like time and time again, like the bot can respond with like, here's the answers, and here's some suggested like posts that you can go check out. We're just trying to optimize community so that it's not only is it self serve in the sense like individuals can help answer questions, but if we already know the answer just serve that up. And that actually helps us cover more community questions instead of having to spend a lot of people time.
1: Yeah. And then like over automatic, like we're using it in various ways, like internally, like as John mentioned, like we're using it in Slack, You've got like GPT, like available as a bot like natively, which is great. But like, more broadly, day to day, I think a lot of us are using it to build stuff, kind of write documentation, as I mentioned, and then more broadly on a product level, like automatic, obviously owns Jetpack. Jetpack lets you add AI search to like certain sites now on WordPress, which is really cool. There's like an experimental WooCommerce feature where you can like generate product descriptions using AI, which are more optimized. And I suspect that's not the end of that. I think we're gonna see loads of these little use cases and loads of different teams try it out and then add it, and it's gonna grow and grow and grow.
0: Awesome. Well, we're coming to the end here. I think now we would be available for questions from the audience if anyone has any. I did see someone at the beginning try to join to ask a question live. I don't know if you're still here, but feel free to open up the little chat window, post that in text. While we are waiting for that, I'd love to kind of go around the room here and ask folks what you're sort of most excited for in 2024 in the world of DevRel. I'll start with, I guess, Jacqueline here.
1: Oh, putting me on the spot. I think this AI stuff is really interesting in general when you think of it as like a community companion. And I think the early days of that has already started, like Doc spots in Discord servers or in Slack servers. But I think there's probably more about we haven't come up with yet. And I think augmenting, like, the human's ability to, like, talk to your community. Like, obviously, it's never going to replace us as humans, hopefully. But I think it can help us reach more people faster. And that's, like, why I find it really interesting. I also am really looking forward to it, like, being used more by developers in ways that are not just I'm going to generate code. So like, I want to like, GitHub pilots awesome. But like, what's more? What comes next? And I think that's gonna be really interesting, because I think it's going to pose challenges for product teams, it's going to pose challenges for several teams, we're going to have to work out another way to give ROI to those teams and using those features. And I have no idea what it's going to be. But I'm excited to see what it is. Love that. SJ.
2: That's so funny. I feel like that's Still, the true thing about working in DevRel is that we're constantly surprised and it sounds like that's going to remain true. And I think that's one of the most fun things about working with developers. I think for me, one of the things that Karen Ng, who is our SVP of Product and Partnerships, when she joined us probably two years ago now, she said something really interesting to me that I think that I love and I think is true, that DevRel today is almost like the product team of 10 years ago. In other words, DevRel is going to become this like, very like formalized, essential function at any company that has any sort of like, developer touch points. And so she's basically saying the way we look at product now, DevRel is sort of undergoing a similar path. So I'm excited to see us like, become a little bit more grown up, not too grown up, but like, you know, slightly more buttoned up. We're having to, based on these discussions about needing to prove ROI. But I think like, it'll be better for everyone to make those paths to get into the industry clearer, to having those career ladders that are sometimes a challenge in DevRel, having those areas of specialization that will just open it up to a diverse group of folks with different skills. I actually am someone who doesn't code and I've been doing developer work all this time. Like I've dabbled here and there, but I think it's an open space. I think that the pressure to code will be getting stronger for folks in DevRel, but I do think there's a place for lots of folks in the developer world and just got to love working with developers. So I can't wait to see where the industry goes. Last but not least, John.
3: Yeah, I keep thinking about the dream of no code, low code. We've been talking about that for several years now. Like what could you do with these solutions that would be no code, low no code? Now with like chat, GBT, you're kind of saying like there's a lot of power in no code, low code, but I still want to see like I'm really interested in how that actually turns into like tangible like product development where you're kind of just having like a bot. Maybe this is, like the GitHub Copilot like next evolution. It's like hey, I kind of know like I can write a specification of what I need from a product perspective, and I can put that into something, and it like literally can build out an application with the things that I need, and I can work with it real time and kind of get feedback like prompt engineering through like like you do with designers or something around how the UI should look and feel and like. Maybe what this button should be, and like that's may not be DevRel, but that's like I think software. If we get to that point where that's possible, I think all of our jobs are going to change in a way. This is going to be really interesting. I don't know what that means for like the discipline of DevRel and DX, but I do feel like all that I just described is still developer experience because at the end of the day, somebody's got to be on the other end, sort of guiding this AI system to create something that goes in the hands of people that need to be uh, to understand how to use it and need support and how it works and. And all that could be like in five to 10 years, like really like a lot of AI or maybe all of our documentation is like kind of written by an AI and we're just prompting it. We're like, well, no, that's not right. Let's change that. Let's change that. And that would be really interesting to have an AI DX team member. That's just our AI with a personality and it's just part of the team and they
0: come along for the ride. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you all so much for your time. Some incredible insights you shared here. This recording will be up in a couple of days for anyone who wants to share it with their teams. we will also include some info about where to find each of you and your work online. If you want to learn more, we do these once a month. The next one's going to be February 27th, And then also, we will be hosting DevRelCon New York this summer. So hopefully, we'll see some of you there. Thank you all for uh, tuning in, and happy hacking. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking. To find out more about Major League Hacking and how we're educating the next generation of developers and helping the world's leading companies reach them, visit sponsor.mlh.io. And make sure to search for Developer Education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen, and click like and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like it, please don't forget to leave a review and we'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. On behalf of the team here at Major League Hacking, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking.